Hey everybody, we just did a extraordinary shiur as part of our series of Jewish intimacy, bringing the teachings of the Ramban from 750 years ago into today, very, very much relevant to every single couple, every single person in the world, not just Klal Israel. Why? Because the promiscuity uh, has gone to the point in the world where people have become desensitized from what's right and wrong, so much so that they think it's perfectly fine uh, to think about somebody else during the act of intimacy and getting to a point where even psychiatrists and, and all types of consultants are even recommending this garbage to people to do. Now, what does this really mean to us? What is it, what comes out of this? What kind of results will this bring? What is the magnitude of this? And even more so, how does this actually affect women? Are women supposed to protect their mind? Are women supposed to protect their wheat? Are they allowed to uh, simply uh, think about whatever they want, watch whatever they want? A lot of interesting details in this shiu. Uh, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where it's a must watch. And uh, quite frankly, I'll probably watch it again myself, even though I'm the one that said this you. It's just that informative, that great. Baruch Hashem. So watch it. Let me know what you think. Make sure to subscribe, support, donate, all that good stuff. But the most important thing, learn and be holy. We're back here on our Tuesday night Jewish intimacy series based on the Igeret HaKodesh uh, by the uh, Holy uh, Ramban Nachmanides, written about 750 years ago and changing lives uh, literally every week as we learn it uh, with countless uh, families, uh, countless people have really uh, transformed their lives I think from this series uh, more than anything I've seen in a while. Uh, so Baruch Hashem for that. It's a um, it's amazing how much uh, a little bit of knowledge will do to a person. Uh, tonight's shiur will be for the refuah uh, shlema for Nelia Nekadam Bat Esther, also for Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Avi Mori David Ben Esria, Imi Morati Doris Bajora. Uh, also, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, and also for the Atzlacha Raba uh, of my dear older brother, Oshri Ben Doris, who just did a uh, Siyu Masechet today, Baruch Hashem. Hashem will bless him with many more Masechetot. And uh, a lot of Atzlacha for all of Am Yisrael, all the righteous Noahides, especially those that are continuing to learn with us and support the uh, organization, whether it's by donations or by sharing the lectures or simply by learning with us. Anyone that wants to... Uh, uh, donate and support uh, the work that we're doing here uh, can go to bhtorah.org or to the uh, beezrathashem.org websites and you can uh, support one of the many campaigns that we have. We have the campaign to help poor people in Israel. We have the campaign to uh, uh, fund our kolel of uh, Torah scholars and dayanim in Eretz Yisrael in Jerusalem. Of course, we have the Kiruv organization altogether, just a general donation and many other things, Baruch Hashem, that we have. Uh, and uh, we still have the uh, campaign to uh, help us market the new film, Genom, uh, the movie, 
which Bo Hashem is uh, really uh, transforming a lot of lives uh, once people see uh, Torah from the right perspective and the Jewish perspective of hell, of purgatory, of Geinom, of uh, the worst possible place that anyone could ever imagine to the power of a million. Uh, when a person understands the magnitude of the sin, uh, certainly it changes the acts of, uh, of the uh, day. Also, right now, we just started uh, Sefer Shmot, the book of Exodus, and our, uh, our sages teach us, especially the sages of Kabbalah, uh, teach us that this uh, period of six weeks uh, from uh, uh, Parashat Shmot until Mishpatim uh, is a uh, six-week period of time where it's an auspicious time to do the uh, tshuva for tikkun abrit, for the sins of immorality, whether it's adultery or wasting seed or in any type of promiscuity or, uh, you know, someone that was with uh, his wife while she was nida or homosexuality. All of those uh, uh, adultery, all of those types of sins have major stains that they cause on the neshama, which we'll discuss tonight. Uh, but uh, to do tshuva for them is not simply just by stopping the act, although that's, of course, a prerequisite of doing tshuva, of repenting, is to stop doing the evil things, stop doing the things that are forbidden. Uh, but in order to uh, fix the past, a person has to understand that they uh, need to do tikkunim. They need to do tikkunim, and Arav Edri Sheikhyeh gave a uh, very good analogy to explain this. Uh, when people have a tough understanding of tikkunim, they figure, wait, this is a, uh, you know, it's either fast pretty much every single day until, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, you die, uh, or it's uh, replace it with money. And of course, many people don't like anyone uh, telling them that they need to donate any money in, for their own benefit. But needless to say, anyone that has read the description that's on our uh, website, tikkunabrit.live, uh, understands that these are the teachings of the Torah. This is the teachings that we got at Mount Sinai. This is not some new innovation. And the Kabbalists extrapolated these teachings in order to help a person simply clean up their accounts. Because if a person does tshuva, they start keeping Shabbat, they start becoming modest, they start doing all the good things, but yet they still have to understand that whatever they did in the past doesn't just go away. You know, it's not something that uh, just simply disappears, like some people are uh, misled to believe that if you read Ten Teilim, uh, the Tikkun Klali, then that erases all the garbage that you've done in the past. This is Sheker V'Chazav. It's a complete falsification. It's complete fabrication. There's no truth to it whatsoever. The whole point of Tikkun Klali is to entice you to open up your heart to do tshuva and to do tikkunim. Now, as far as the tikkun itself, the Arizal elaborates what's written in the Zohar, that a person needs to fast a certain amount of times for each sin that they've made, specifically the ones that have to do with immorality, with sexual sins. And uh, when a person understands that they don't necessarily have to do this, but they should, then it's, it's hard for them to deal with the fact that this costs money. So... To explain it best, Rabbi Edwin gave the analogy, which he said, simply put, if, let's say, for example, I came to your house and, uh, you know, and I asked you, listen, can you give me a, uh, a drink? Can you give me some uh, a glass of juice? And he said, of course, Rabbi came. Of course, I'm going to give the rabbi something to drink. No, you went to go get the drink and something got into me while you were gone for those few moments. I take out some uh, knife out of my pocket and I start ripping up your entire living room. 
the couches, the chairs, the leather, the the every the, the, the pleather, the everything, all the pillows, everything is wrecked. By the time you come back, you have no idea what just happened. Literally, it looks like World War Seven happened in your living room. And I have a knife in my hand. There's no denying that I did it. And you're like, bye-bye. Why? What, what'd you do? And I start crying to you. And I say, I'm sorry. I, 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 you know, I, I, something got into me. I'm really, really sorry. I start, you know, I fall on the floor. We, you know, just literally apologetic. And just crying my, my eyes out. Just telling you that something got into me. Not really sure. Maybe it's some demon or something. And I just had to do it but i'm really really sorry with all of my heart and you see me crying and you have a heart you have a some emotions still left in you you say okay you know what rabbi forget it i forgive you forget about crying i love you everything is good all right so baruch hashem i take the drink i tell you thank you thank you very much and i'm about to leave and whoa rabbi i forgive you but you have to pay for it i forgive you that you know you did all of this but i have to replace the furniture i have to buy the couches I, I can't leave it like this. I can't, you know, my wife shows up. She sees there's holes in every single place in the in the living room. She's going to make holes in me. I have to replace it. So, you know, the the, uh, uh, the one that uh, did it has to pay. So the reality is that this is the same concept as far as our previous crimes. Whatever they may be. The, the Torah says that to commit the uh, uh, um, incest, uh, adultery, homosexuality, wasting seed by yourself, uh, whether a male or female, all of these things are considered crimes, according to God. So if a person wants to fix those things, of course they have to stop, but in order to clean up the past, all of those rips, all of that waste, all of that uh, abomination that happened in the past, a person needs to rectify it with tikkunim. Now again, person doesn't have to do it, but they need to understand that if they don't do it, they'll have to deal with it in a different way. And God will give each person an opportunity to deal with it in a different way. Sometimes he'll give you the opportunity to deal with it a different way uh, in form of suffering in this world. And of course, uh, the Gemara in Masechet Yoma uh, details uh, that uh, there are certain uh, sins that a person uh, has to uh, simply say, I'm sorry, pray on Yom Kippur, and that's enough. But there are certain sins like immorality where they have to suffer. They have to suffer in this world. They have to suffer money losses. They have to suffer, uh, you know, pain, anguish, sickness, death, all types of horrible things. And of course, anyone that reads this Gemara understands, wait, wait, I don't want to suffer. What do I need to, what can I do to avoid the suffering? I don't want to get cancer. I don't want to get any death. I don't want to lose any money. What do I do to, 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 to skip this part? How do I do that? That's where the Tikkunim come. That's where the Tikkunim come and a person can eliminate those sufferings. Then, of course, person could also if they let's say for example they die without doing the tikkunim then they have to suffer in a different place not of this world either in kafakela or in Geenom. and of course the chibuta kever for anyone that hasn't watched that movie will certainly scare the living lights out of anybody that understands what comes with it so the point being is that this is not for the purpose of scaring anybody it's simply a warning it's simply an announcement to let anyone know you know that you have something in your hands that that allows you to fix allows you to fix a lot more than you can possibly imagine and that's why we have these tikkunim and of course you know major organizations around the world do tikkunim during this particular time of the year where you could donate to a kolel or to a uh, different bet midrash uh and uh in in essence replacing this uh sin that a person made 
But the one thing that our organization has over pretty much everybody else, especially in the English-speaking world, is that when someone donates to this particular Tikkun Abit campaign, they're not just donating to the campaign and doing their Tikkun, they're also part of the solution because we have the most well-known film about this particular topic of Kol Tikkun Abit that has reached over 10 million people, over 10 million views, I should say, because uh, some people watch it more than once in different languages, in Portuguese, in French, in Russian, in, uh, in Hebrew, in English, of course. And anyone that has watched that movie typically watched it more than once and typically it's transformed their mindset about how they treat themselves and how they treat others when it comes to this particular issue. So when you actually support such a film to help us get to more and more people, it actually magnifies your tikkun because now that money, whatever that money that you donate, is now being used to help other people do tshuva. So each time another person watches that film and does tshuva, that is in essence fixing many, many more times than you can fix yourself. So the, the amount of benefit that a person has from contributing to such a campaign is literally endless. And that's why I say to people that if you really want to do tikkun abrit, there's really no better place to do it than with our organization. This has been the number one topic that we've covered over the last decade of, uh, of giving shiurim. And Baruch Hashem have helped endless amount of people from religious households, non-religious households, uh, Jewish, Gentile, young, old, males, females, Baruch Hashem, endless amount of people that have uh, taken these teachings. And we have uh, somewhere around 150 different lectures about this topic with this one major film. Uh, Baruch Hashem, it's helped a lot of people. So the solution to it is available. We just need help to get to more people. And again, this is the time to do it. It's an auspicious time where uh, the reason why these six weeks are specifically uh, uh, highlighted by the sages. Of course, a person can do this tikkun anytime during the year, but the reason why these six weeks are considered an auspicious time for it is because the gates of heaven are open specifically for tshuva of this particular issue during this time. <clears throat> well, anytime somebody takes on themselves to do tshuva during this time and takes it seriously, you know, does tikkunim, does the prayers, does the tshuva, says I'm sorry, learns Torah, does all the things, Hashem helps him. Hashem helps her tremendously, tremendously with such a thing. And of course, again, I know it's not cheap. I know it's not something that uh, uh, is uh, necessarily even possible for everyone to do. But that's why we say that the most important part is to stop the act. Second part, of course, to learn Torah, to learn about this topic. And if a person has the financial ability uh, to donate, there's nothing better that they could do with their money than this. It's literally uh, more than any other campaign anyone could ever have because it's literally taking different crimes that a person has on their account and simply removing them. And there's really nothing else that can do such a thing for the sin of immorality. There are other sins that you could simply say I'm sorry for on Yom Kippur. There are other sins that you could simply uh, do other things for. Uh, but with this particular issue, the sages teach us, including Rabbi Yosef Karo, who calls the sin of wasting seed the worst sin in the Torah, specifically because it creates the most amount of mezikim, the most amount of spiritual enemies, demons and, and such, that actually hurt a person by enticing him or her to continue sinning, which is, again, one of the things we're going to talk about tonight. So this uh, website, if you see this uh, flyer on our pages or anywhere else, uh, you see it, it's, uh, that's the website of the specific campaign for the Tikkun Shovavim. Uh, it's tikkunabrit.live. 
Tikkun Live for anyone that is interested. If you're not interested, no problem. You don't have to send me emails to let me know how much you're not interested and how much you don't like it. I simply don't have the time nor interest of why a person's not interested. If they are, it's available. If they're not, no problem. You know, each person suit themselves. So with that being said, we have Baruch Hashem, an extraordinary Ramban here. This Ramban, he brings us literally this world today on a silver platter. And and one of the things that uh, I deal with, unfortunately, with many different types of couples and individuals is the fact that there is not just a addictions to alcohol, not just addictions to food, not just addictions to all types of psychological things, but they're literally sex addictions. And the, uh, the sex addictions that people have are sometimes with themselves, sometimes with other people, sometimes they lead to adultery, sometimes they lead to promiscuity. And the type of, uh, of um, addictions that are out there are literally getting worse and worse by the day. And unfortunately, they're also in the religious world. They're not just in a non-religious world. And when I, when I first started teaching, I was naive enough to think that the, uh, the issues of immorality are really primarily in the non-religious world and quickly i learned this is as far from the truth as can be because unfortunately there is also immorality in the not in the uh, religious uh, jewish world and as it is across everywhere why because all of us have an evil inclination and if a person doesn't understand the magnitude of their evil the magnitude of their crime and in fact they don't even see it as evil they don't even see it as a crime they could literally desensitize themselves to the most you know important emotions that they're supposed to have to such an extent that they could literally be committing adultery on their most loved one during the act itself and that's in essence where the ramban is going with today where a person is married happily married everything is good they have some kids they don't have some kids bottom line is it's not because they hate each other it's not because they're cheating on each other simply it's because they don't understand what jewish intimacy is supposed to be and what do they do they think about other people while they're actually intimate now of course it's this is something that's heinous it's horrific but in the secular world if you go to a sex therapist many times if you tell them listen i've lost my interest in my wife i lost my interest in my husband many times these sex therapists tell you why don't you guys watch pornography together as if this is a solution as if this is not the reason why you lost interest as if this is not the reason why you have a demented mentality a warped mentality that has nothing to do with reality and the more a person is addicted to pornography, to Hollywood, to Netflix, to Hulu, to all of these different shows, the more a person has desensitized themselves from important emotions that they're supposed to have to the most important people in their life during the most important times of their time of their lives. And the more a person understands that this is not only cheating, but this is a huge, huge risk it's a huge hazard that is creating some of the biggest troubles that a person can possibly have is man is, is literally self-made they created themselves 
the biggest tragedies that you have you created with your own hands you created with your own mind you created with your own actions and it all starts with the eyes looking at things that are inappropriate which leads to thoughts and that's why the gemara says in masichet yuma the thoughts of sin are worse than the sin one of the reasons why the thoughts of sin are worse than the sin is because the sin itself is something that sometimes requires another person and you can't necessarily get another person whenever you feel like it even if you're the most beautiful person on planet earth it doesn't come uh, on demand uh and even more so it's a uh, even if it's ne- not necessarily requiring another person it's not always necessarily the uh, uh something that you're able to do in the right place the right time the right mood the right health and so on and so forth whereas the thoughts of sin the thoughts of immorality is literally something that something that something that a person can do 24 hours a day they could have inappropriate thoughts in their mind 24 hours a day they can think about their neighbor's wife 24 hours a day they, she can think about the, her uh, her best friend's husband 24 hours a day they can think about all types of pornography and immorality and incest and bestiality and homosexuality and all the filthiest things that are destroying society today so much so that literally today i uh, saw a report that they found that uh, i think it was something like uh, uh six or seven hundred teachers in chicago schools have been uh, uh have been uh, in essence found that uh, they have uh, committed crimes with their students and only 16 or 17 of them actually there was charges pressed against them but this has become such a norm in society where there is there is a pedophilia and homosexuality and promiscuity that you have teachers today feeling like there's no problem to do whatever they want with their own students the way they talk to them the way they behave with them uh, to such an extent that you have a city chicago chicago is a big city but hey listen 600 700 teachers are found to be with their students i mean literally you have a better chance of 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 sending of throwing your child to mars with your right hand than actually having your kids survive school without being damaged in one way or another whether it's some suicide uh, a bomber or or, or 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 some some psychopath that played too many video games or it's pedophilia or it's a rape or whatever it is literally send your kids to school these days has become a a, a moral hazard and one of the things that a person has to understand is that all of this all of this is man-made meaning you created a certain sin you've done a certain sin that's the outcome that's the outcome this is the outcome this there is no suffering without sin says our torah no such thing as suffering without sins you have certain things that happen to you there's a reason of why it happened now most people think that okay so perhaps it's because of something i did now and although that's true it can actually also be something that your parents did but not now rather during that moment that you were conceived what was on their mind now if you tell the average person that's normal that their spouse is thinking of somebody else of course no one's going to be happy about it 
Any man that loves his wife is never going to want to see his wife even looking favorably at some gardener or, 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 or lifeguard or even a, a banker or, or, or some guy at a uh, Starbucks store. No guy that loves his wife wants his wife to even smirk at another man. Needless to say, if he finds out that she's thinking about this guy during the time that she's intimate with him, you'd be surprised if this woman doesn't end up being on, a, uh, uh, you know, on the eulogy list. On, in, in tomorrow's paper and he's in jail why because no man wants that of course it's even more so if a woman finds out that her husband her loved one is even talking favorably to his secretary talking favorably to a customer service agent that's on the phone that he has no idea what she looks like but he says a certain word automatically the jealousy within the woman flames up she wants to burn him with the phone now, if she finds out that he has some image of some woman during the act while he's with her, aside from most likely, you know, castrating him, it would be surprising if he ever is intimate with her ever again. Why? She will become permanently disgusted by him. Now, of course, today, many women and men have to deal with the fact that their spouse is cheating on them. Not necessarily with a living person that they're meeting on a weekly basis, but rather a living person that they're watching on a minute-by-minute minute basis sometime, and, and of course on a week-by-week week basis during pornography. There are many people that are addicted to pornography that have literally destroyed their marriage, destroyed their job, destroyed their parenting, destroyed their lives with this. I even had one time a, uh, a person I was trying to help and anyone that watched our original lectures about wasting seed and and when a person is, is promiscuous with himself and you know knows that the uh, the sages have taught us some very heavy things about the issue aside from the punishment for such a things there's also a uh, a physical damage and i literally i saw i had a I had a guy and this, this happened a couple of times but this was like the worst case where i had a guy that was so addicted to wasting seed that literally just he couldn't stop and I tried consulting him and I tried giving him advice endless amount of hours all for free to try to guide this young person to stop and he finally tells me breaks the news that uh, how could I stop if I constantly see my father watching pornography in the living room while uh, uh, you know doing the act himself by himself in the open without any care literally a beast doesn't even do such a thing you won't even see such things in zoos but this poor kid uh, it was not really a kid, but whatever, this, this young man uh, literally grew up this way. And he got to a point where he was so addicted to wasting seed that it destroyed his body that when I saw him, I, actually, I honestly thought that he's like some type of like, I don't know, he just had chemotherapy, like he was dying. Like, you know, lost his hair, his, his skin was like as oily as you, you literally, you would be, you know, you shake his hand, you feel like you're going to slip and, you know, fall down the road. It's unbelievable what it did to this young person's body. And I've seen this a few times, but this was the worst case. And unfortunately, this is something that is part of our society today. And many times people think, no, listen, if I uh, just stop and I don't do it as often, it's not as bad. But you don't understand. Marriage does not solve this problem. Uh, a, uh, uh, you know, changing the, uh, you know, your TV to and exchanging it with the phone is not going to solve the problem. The, the cure to the problem is understanding what's at hand. And many times 
people, you know, have a addiction that is unresolved, and that addiction leads them to having these thoughts during the time of intimacy. During the time of intimacy, which leads to complete separation between the couple as far as emotions, it could lead to a uh, being violent, it could lead to, to, to simply a lot of really, really bad things. So the Ramban that has been teaching us, literally holding our hand over the last few months to explain to us the responsibility of Jewish intimacy, the responsibility of, 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 being, of, of man being with his wife and a wife being with her husband, and how much holiness this can create literally said that the highest level of holiness that a person can ever reach in this world is from this particular act more than even learning torah more than doing kind acts more than anything else a person can reach the highest level of holiness through the act itself which we learned a few weeks ago about the cherubs and everything else either way when a person doesn't understand that or doesn't accept it or doesn't know it then to them intimacy is just simply another beastly act it's another thing that they do to uh, satisfy their arousal satisfy their desire and they don't think much of it and yet later on the fruits that come out of them are rotten and they don't really have many answers of why they sent their kid to the best yeshiva but he turned out homosexual they sent their daughter to the best seminary but she ended up marrying a non-jew which is forbidden for jews they be- they sent their kids to and they raised them in the best neighborhoods but their kids have no interest whatsoever in the holiness of torah they become atheists how could it possibly be this all has to do with this and this is what the ramban is not going to go into as we complete the uh this uh, second chapter and he says the following this is the secret of what we said which is quoting the uh page 17 when a man unites with his wife in holiness and purity the shechina is with them in the secret of man and woman so here we see that the Ramban, which was the head of the Mekubalim. Many people are familiar with the Ramban's commentary on the Torah and, of course, many other things that he, uh, that he did, fighting against Christianity with the famous debate in Barcelona. But few people know that the uh, head of the Mekubalim, the head of the Kabbalist, is the Ramban. And anyone that actually studied his commentary on the, uh, on the Torah knows that he literally puts Kabbalah uh, in in every uh, every other sentence, there's something kabbalistic in it. So when he's telling you, I have a secret to tell you. It's a multiple part secret. You pay attention because this is not a secret. That's just something you can find in your uh, in your local bookstore. So he's telling you that there is a teachings that we're all familiar with. We've all heard already for the last twelve lectures about the sanctity that uh, you know that a man and his wife. Uh, have during intimacy if they do it uh, the right way is something that's not only beneficial for them beneficial for their marriage beneficial for kids but this is what brings the shechina brings the shechina from shemaim to your house makes you a partner with hashem and this is what we talked about last week 
when a couple is together they literally become partners with Hashem partners with God if the act is done in holiness if the act is done no different than the pigs and the horses and the dogs then obviously you're not partners with Hashem you're partners with the Satan which we'll get to in a little while but when their act itself of intimacy the unification between a man and his wife is done in holiness then the Shekhinah itself comes down and becomes partners with those people now he says there's a secret in this particular teaching that takes it even further and he says this is the meaning of before you came forth out of the womb I sanctified you this is a verse in the uh, book of Jeremiah chapter 1 verse number 5 and the Ramban tells us this Shekhinah being there coming down and being with partners with this holy couple during their act has a secret in it and the secret comes from the verse in the from the prophet Jeremiah where Hashem says to the prophet that before I formed you in the belly I knew you and before you left the womb I sanctified you I established you as a prophet unto the nations so here the Ramban says this is what it is when there's holiness during the act that holiness means that the Shekhinah is now a partner in the creation of that child which brings this a soul from the holiness part there are two parts there's Kedusha and Tum'ah there's the place of souls that is holiness and then there is the unholiness controlled by the Sitra by the other side the Satan and the prophet Jeremiah was told by Hashem that already at the time that your mother and father were together I already knew you why why do I already know you says the Radak this is to tell Jeremiah and to teach us that Jeremiah didn't just happen to be a prophet because Hashem needed a prophet there are many many people he could pick but rather he had all of the tools necessary to be a prophet of God primarily beginning with the intimate act between his parents where they did it in holiness and thereby created a holy neshama where the Gemara in Masechet Nida in page 17 says that there's an angel named Laila that brings each and every single seed to Hashem and Hashem investigates it what is he investigating how pure is this seed what kind of act happened here was he thinking about his wife or some zona that he saw in the street was she thinking about her husband or some uh, filth that she saw at work what were they thinking about why did they do this how pure is this how holy is this and the holiness that the parents of Jeremiah got to produced a prophet that the Midrash compares to Moshe Rabbeinu when Hashem says in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 18 where Moshe Rabbeinu tells Am Yisrael a prophecy 
I will establish a prophet for them like you. I will establish a prophet like them like you. The Midrash teaches us that Hashem is referring to the prophet Jeremiah, where there are a lot of similarities between the prophet Jeremiah and Moshe Rabbeinu. They both didn't want the job. They were too humble to accept it. They didn't think they were the right fit. They both prophesied for 40 years. They both gave very sharp rebuke to the people, things that people don't want to hear but need to hear. And the holiness of Jeremiah didn't start after he went to yeshiva and learned some books. No, no. It literally started the moment he was conceived. And that's why the Rambam writes in Moreh Nebuchim in uh, these, uh, chapter 2, the 32nd uh, segment, that this particular verse teaches us the basic concept regarding the conditions for a prophecy, where although a person must exert much effort into perfecting themselves so that he would be fit to be a prophet, it's not enough. He must also have been endowed from birth with certain necessary personal attributes. What are those? How was he conceived? What were his parents thinking about at that moment? Now, the um, Chachamim teach us, Al-Shich HaKadosh says that when Hashem says to the prophet Jeremiah, before you left the womb, I sanctified you, this is calming Jeremiah down because He's telling them, you're going to be a prophet. You're going to have to go to all the wicked people and rebuke them. And Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. Why? If I'm surrounded by a bunch of wicked people, maybe they'll affect me. Maybe I'll be enticed. Hashem says, you have nothing to worry about. Why? You have so much. You were created with such holiness that your level of holiness is a shield against all of the wicked acts of people. You have nothing to worry about as far as falling and be to the to the evil inclination like other people why you are made differently you are made differently your spiritual status is different than everybody else because of the way that your parents behaved during that act now when the prophet jeremiah was born he was born already with full-grown set of teeth speaking and the psikta rabati the uh psikta uh in a um Siman 26 says that as soon as Jeremiah was born, unlike other babies where they're crying, where they're, uh, you know, looking for, you know, what, what's going on over here, Jeremiah spoke. And he didn't just say, Ima, Ima, Mami, Mami. No. Jeremiah says, you didn't conceive me legitimately. You've been brazen and have acted like a wayward woman. Why don't you go drink the water of the sota? His mother looks at him and says, why is this baby speaking such words at me at such a young age? And Jeremiah responds to his mother, I'm not speaking about you, mother, but rather I'm speaking about Zion and Yerushalayim, meaning about Am Yisrael, who has adorned her girls in immodest ways. The girls of Am Yisrael at that time were walking around without modesty. They're like Sota. They're like a wayward woman. How could I? How could you bring me into this world with such a thing? He's rebuking Amisai literally the morning, the moment he was born. 
The moment he was born. That's how holy Jeremiah was. The Ramban tells us this all has to do with the moment that the husband and wife are intimate. What's on their mind? And he says further, and this is the secret of what we hear, what we also learned from the book of Exodus, chapter 13, verse 2, where Hashem says, Sanctify unto me all of the firstborn. Now, literally speaking, if somebody just studies the Torah on basic level, then they know that Hashem is telling us that the firstborn belongs to Hashem. That's why we have Pidyon Aben. That's why the, uh, initially before Hashem sanctified the Kohanim, the Kohanim were, uh, were um, the firstborn until the, uh, you know, they made the sin of the golden calf. That's when he replaced the firstborn with the Kohanim. But the firstborn are special. The firstborn belong to Hashem. And that's the basics. But then it has further teaching. As we know, our Torah has the Pardes, Pshat, Remez, Drash, Sod. Pshat is the basic meaning. Remez is the different hints that you get, different meanings that you get from what this is insinuating. Drash is the Midrash, the background story of certain things, and so does the secret parts of the Torah, the mystical aspects. Now, the Ramban says that the secret of this verse is that the firstborn has always been special, has always been part of the story of creation, and has always been part of the story of Am Yisrael, since the time of Adam Rishon. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that the one of the reasons why the serpent enticed uh, Eve, Chava, uh, to uh, to eat from the tree of knowledge was really because he wanted her to give that tree of knowledge, that fruit, to her husband. Because he wanted her husband to die, for Hashem to kill him. Because he wanted to marry Chava. Now the Gemara says that before they understood the ramifications of certain acts, the serpent raped Chava. And that zoama, that spiritual filth, went into Chava. And after they sinned, after Adam and Chava sinned, they were intimate, and the first child that came from them included that zoama, included that spiritual filth from the firstborn, and that was Cain, the first murderer. And this spiritual filth continued going from generation to generation and has affected society in the world in Am Yisrael. Avram Avinu tried to fix, to do a tikkun for Adam Rishon. One of the things that was required was to bring souls to the world. The first son that he had was Ishmael. That son came from the spiritual filth. That came from the Zohama. The second son, Yitzchak, came from the Kedusha. Yitzchak, his son, also had two sons. The firstborn was Esav. 
Esav came from the spiritual filth. He came from the Zohama. Yaakov from the Kedusha. Hence the reason why when their mother, while she's still pregnant, walks by the place of idolatry, Esav is partying. He already has an inclination to go serve idols. Already from the beginning, while he's in the womb, he's already infected by this. Now, Yaakov Avinu, who is the head of the Avot, even though he is the youngest, Yaakov Avinu, he perfected himself to such an extent that he used the attributes of Avraham and the attributes of his father Yitzchak to perfect himself to such an extent that a seed did not leave his body until his first act of intimacy with his first wife, which brought Reuven. The first bone Reuven, that's why in last week's parasha, when Yaakov blesses Reuven, he says, you are my first vigor. You are my strength. And the Gemara in Masechet Yevamot, page 76a, says that Yaakov was so holy that a seed did not leave his body until it was used to create his firstborn son, Reuven. So he was the only one that was literally able to have a firstborn son. Now, of course, we're not Yaakov, and that's what the Gemara says. Who's Yaakov now? Who's Yaakov now that uh, is so perfect that uh, he, uh, you know, he's, he's not going to have a uh, nocturnal emissions during his sleep once in a while, or, or people that sin while they're young, before they know the magnitude. I mean, people are not holy like Yaakov. But the, the key is to understand is that when a person sanctifies themselves, while they're still young, the more they sanctify themselves, the more they restrain yourself to only use your body for the sake of holiness, the more it's going to impact that firstborn child that you have. And this is what the Ramban continues to teach us and say, as our sages said, if they're together for mere lust and arousal, the Shekhinah leaves. In the secret of the words fire, fire, as in the uh, the words uh, that we learned last week, Ish and Isha. Ish in Hebrew is spelled, that's the man. It's uh, Aleph, Yud, Shin. Isha is Aleph, Shin, Hey. So you have the, uh, uh, the, the man and the woman. But if you take out the Yud out of the Ish, which is the letter that stands for the name of Hashem, or the Hey, in the uh, name of the woman, which also is another letter that stands for the name of Hashem, together they, they, they combine to spell another name of Hashem. If the act of intimacy between them is in holiness, Ish and Isha are complete and the Shekhinah is between them. Literally, the Shekhinah is among them. But if it's not, if it's just simply for the purpose of arousal, where he's thinking about a different woman, he, she's thinking about somebody else too. The Shekhinah leaves. And all they have left is Esh, Esh, Aleph, Shin, Aleph, Shin in both of their names, which spells fire, fire. And the Ramban says, and this is the secret of where we learn from David Melech in Psalm chapter 58, verse 4. The wicked are estranged already from the womb. 
Meaning that David Melech is teaching us here that the wickedness of a person is not just something that they develop as a result of bad education, bad teachers, bad environment. It could literally already be something that's instilled into the child before they're even into this world, while they're in the, in the womb. Now the Gemara in Masechet Yoma gives us a couple of these examples. On page 82b, the Gemara says that there was a woman that was pregnant and uh, she smelled food being cooked, perhaps by one of the Gentiles over there and uh, that of course don't observe Yom Kippur and uh, therefore they cook, they eat everything, but the Jewish people are not allowed to cook, they're not allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, they have to fast, and uh, including a pregnant woman, and um, she smelled this food, and all of a sudden she has this huge desire to eat, this huge craving to eat. Now, the sages teach us that these desires are not just something you could just ignore and say, listen, you have to deal with it, you have to fast. No, because these desires, if they don't calm down, they can actually cause damage to the mother and the baby. It can literally cause a life. So this woman was pregnant. She smelled food. She craved it on Yom Kippur. And it started creating pain. The people came to the rabbi. Who was the rabbi? Rabbi Akadosh, Rabbi Yudanasi, Gdolado. Sekvodarav, there's a woman, she has a uh, craving. What do we do? He said to them, Go and whisper in our ear, it's Yom Kippur. Just go to our ear, say, it's Yom Kippur. Not allowed to eat. Okay? That's what they do. And immediately after, they whisper it to her. Perhaps it's her husband says it to her, or maybe it's uh, one of the women. They whisper in her ear, it's Yom Kippur. All of a sudden, the desire, the craving, the pain, gone as if it was never there. Immediately they run to Rebbe Kadosh and tell him, the craving has subsided, Kvodarav, thank you. Rabbi Akadosh immediately quotes the verse from Jeremiah, the same verse we just said, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you left the womb, I sanctified you. Why are you saying this verse, Kvodarav? He says, if this helped, that means that this child that's in there, was created in holiness, is a holy child, and it's going to come to the world. This is a special child. And what happened with this child who was born? Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan was born from this. Rabbi Yochanan, Gdola Amoraim, he's the one that literally put the uh, Torah on a, uh, you know, the highest level. He made Resh Lakish do tshuva publicized the Torah in, uh, in extraordinary ways. He had the beauty. He had the beauty similar to Yosef at Sadiq. That was the baby. That was his mother. But then the Gemara says another story. 
The same exact thing happens with a different woman. Pregnant. It's Yom Kippur. She smells some barbecue that somebody's cooking. And she craves it. And it's painful for her. She's hungry. She needs, some, she needs something to eat. They run to Rabbi Hanina, one of the Gdolei Adol. And they ask him, Rabbi, what do we do? And the Rabbi has the same exact Masoet as Rabbi HaKadosh. says to them, go and whisper to the mother, it's Yom Kippur. They go and they whisper to the mother, it's Yom Kippur. But this time it didn't work. And they had to give her food. They tell the rabbi, Lo, this didn't work. Immediately, Rabbi Hanina quotes the next verse that we mentioned from Tehilim. Chapter 58, verse number 4. Zohu eshaim mirechem. The wicked are estranged from the womb. This baby didn't come from a place of holiness. However, they conceived it. Something is wrong. This baby is a problem. And what happened with this baby? Who was this baby? This baby was a person named Shabtai, the hoarder of produce, who was a big criminal torturing the Jewish community by manipulating prices, price gouging, taking advantage of poor people, and literally hurting his brothers and sisters throughout his life. This began with the act of his parents. Now, a person can easily arrive at a thought that, wait, so doesn't that mean that they don't have free choice? No, it doesn't mean that. Rav Vigdor Milo, Alava Shalom, is quoted as saying, in commentary on the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin, page 101b, where the Gemara brings the names of different wicked kings that Am Yisrael had that uh, lost their share of the world to come. And also uh, a few commoners that weren't kings, but wicked people mentioned in the Torah that lost their share of the world to come. They're in Gehenom forever. And it gives the names of each and every single one of them. It tells the story of each one of them. And then it tells you how, look, from the root, from this name, you could see the wickedness. We see Yerovam is the example that they give first. It says Yerovam was a wicked person, built two golden calves because of his arrogance. He didn't want people to go to Yerushalayim, to the Bet HaMikdash. He was afraid that they were going to serve a different, you know, the, the, the real Jewish king. He wanted to be the king. So he said, you don't need to go to the, to the uh, Petamikdash anymore. Here, there are two golden calves. They are God. And this is a person that knew an enormous amount of Torah, but was a very arrogant, wicked person. And says, you could already tell his evil from his name. Whereas Yerovam, one of the examples they give, Yerovam that created Riv, uh, uh, discord, a fight, between Am Yisrael and their father in heaven. So Rav Vigdor Miller says, you have to know, this is not to tell you 
that he had no chance that he was programmed to be evil no him and everybody else have the nature that they can use for wickedness as well as for good and the pretentious nature of these names is no way inclined to force these people to live life of wickedness but rather every name had an equal potential as a augury of good and had these people chosen to act righteously they would have invested their names with other proper meanings but only after these wicked people live the life of wickedness do we now see the wickedness within their name meaning that although they were wicked and you see the uh, names we can learn wicked you know that there was wickedness within a name this doesn't mean that they had to be wicked had they chosen the right choices to follow the Torah to follow Hashem we would have been able to find righteousness within those names just like you have wicked people named Ishmael and you have extremely righteous people named Ishmael wicked people named Alexander and righteous people named Alexander wicked people named Moshe and obviously Moshe Rabenu, righteous most righteous person named Moshe so it's not that if somebody starts off in a bad way that they have to be bad but if the act of intimacy is done in a unholy way where he's thinking about a different woman or she's thinking about a different man they have inappropriate thoughts then certainly the uh, child is being brought into the world with like their spiritual hands tied behind their back now the Ramban continues and he says the following now that I've awakened you to the secret mysteries of the first path of the aspects of union I will enlighten you of the second path which is the opposite of the first The Ramban is about to give us one of the most extraordinary chidushim about this subject I've ever seen. Certainly a scary chidush, especially during the time that we're in right now, this time of Shovavim, where many people are becoming more and more aware that they have to start controlling themselves, start being holier, and not waste seed not be promiscuous not do all the things that they're forbidden to do but now the Ramban takes this a step further and he says the following for when a man has not the intention for the sake of heaven during the act of intimacy that seed that was drawn from him is not holy but rather a stinking fetid drop in which God has no portion of and it's actually called and written in the Torah about such a seed in Genesis chapter 38 verse 9 he spilled his seed on the ground so as not to give the seed to his late brother's memory 
where his body is for consternation and he plants an asherah tree a tree that's used for idolatrous worship and he fans the calves for idolatry for it is a defective seed his drop has not been instilled with a soul it is like a thorn and regarding this the sages taught us in Sanhedrin, he who spills seed in vain god has no share in that deed and regarding these embryos these babies that will come from this david melech says in Tehilim 58 4 the wicked are estranged already from the womb here the ramban is giving us an atomic bomb of a chidush for anyone that understands but whoever doesn't i'm going to explain it until now we have been taught we have understood that of course there are torah commandments of things that you're obligated to do and torah commandments of things that you're forbidden from doing you're obligated to observe the shabbat eat kosher on the other hand you're forbidden from being intimate with your wife when she's nida you've been forbidden from committing adultery you're forbidden from wasting seed you're forbidden from eating non-kosher and so on the ramban extrapolates from the torah a teaching unlike anything that we've seen so far where he's telling you being intimate with your wife in a holy fashion it's not just for the sake of bringing this holy baby holy kids that speak to their parents with respect not like these little hitlers walking around in society today that yell at their parents and even hit their parents it's not just for that it's not just for the sake of making yourself holier or closer to god no 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 you see the holiness of the act is not just to acquire more holiness there's another end to it where if the act is not holy it's unholy you're thinking about someone else that's not your spouse you're thinking about just pure physical pleasure nothing else there is no love whatsoever there is no holiness whatsoever in the act now if you're the woman and your husband is like one of these beasts but you're a righteous woman and you know that if you're not with him he's going to end up wasting seed then you being with him is a mitzvah it's actually for a high level of mitzvah for the sake of heaven so he doesn't waste seed it's not the ideal but needless to say it's a mitzvah for you to be with him so he doesn't waste seed on the other hand though on his end he has a very serious problem and of course if the woman is doing it completely for physical reasons and no holiness whatsoever is connected to her they have a very serious problem and what's that problem the problem is not the child that will come from there only the problem is not that they won't attain holiness only the Ramban says when the act of intimacy has no holiness in it whatsoever that seed that comes out of that man 
is considered the equivalent of wasting seed. Meaning, it's a sin. Meaning, it is compared to idolatry. Like an Asherah tree. It is considered a defective seed that God has no share of, wants nothing to do with it. That seed came from the Satan. That seed is under his control, came from the side of Tum'ah, side of impurity. Now the Gemara in Masechet Sukkah, page 52b says, if the Menuval, the Yetzirah, the despicable Yetzirah comes to attack you, Pull him to the Bet Midrash. Go learn Torah and oh, run away from it. Why? Because when you learn Torah, the evil inclination, if he's uh, a rock, he explodes. If he's a rock, he uh, he's crumbles. If he's a metal, he explodes. Torah is stronger than the Yetzirah. But then the Chachamim asks, why is he called Menuvaldo? Why is he called Despicable? Why did he have that name? Because the evil inclination... He already attacks the child the moment the child is out of the mother. And sometimes even while the child is inside the womb. Meaning that the child just came to the world. He still has all of the stuff that's on his body, on her body, from the womb. They haven't even cleaned him up yet. They haven't even named it yet. Nothing. Yet so already attacks. Already tells him a bunch of things. Already, already attacks him. That's why he's despicable. Now, when a person acts during a time of intimacy in such an unholy way, not only is the Yetzirah, the Menuval, there, but he's the source of control of that soul where it's not bringing a child into the world with their hands behind their back. It's bringing a child in a prison that will literally require a lot of overcoming to get that child to become righteous. So when parents are surprised that their children have no concept of connection to God, No concept of connection to the Holy Torah despite them going to yeshiva and seminary and being in a good neighborhood. But they have no connection, no nothing. They can't blame the child. They have to blame the person they see in the mirror when they look. Now, this Rabotai is not just a bad thing. The Ramban says this is one of the worst sins a person can make is being compared to this. Wasting seed in vain, idolatry, that's what this act is, is uh, compared to. When a person is thinking in a, you know, about a different person and there's no sanctity in their unity between them and their spouse, that act is compared to idolatry. That act is compared to Wasting seed, prostitution, abomination. Now what does it produce? It produces children that come under the control of the Sitra Akhra. 
Now, if you tell your, you know, a person, and hey, listen, by the way, you know that uh, kid you have? He's like the golden calf. They're not exactly going to be happy about it. So I won't recommend you telling people that their kids are like the little golden calf or some Christmas tree. But the reality is that. The reality is that sometimes the act of intimacy between the parents lacks so much intimacy, lacks so much holiness that literally they're creating little golden calves. And that they're surprised that their kids want to be lesbian even before they realize what sexuality is. They're only eight years old. This didn't come from nothing. This didn't come from just a TV show. The act itself had some type of damage in it. What the Ramban is calling zera mekulkal, a defective seed, defective zera. Now, Rabbi Meir Shapira Milublin, the one that instituted the Daf Yomi, he once had to face a wicked person. Apikos, they used to be the one that constantly made fun of the rabbis. And this guy came to the Keilah, yelling and screaming, trying to get people to listen to him. And Rabbi Meri Shapira Lublin faced him and said, to go away, the guy wouldn't listen. And the guy yelled at him in front of everybody, saying, why would anybody listen to you? I'm successful. I'm smart. Why should they listen to you? Just a rabbi. Abimeir Shapira Milublin says to him, you know what the difference is between you and I? He says, I am one seed out of every 10,000 nights comes somebody like me. You, 10,000 each night like you come. Meaning that when my parents brought me to the world they acted in such restraint they acted with such holiness that it's rare to have such a holy neshama like mine only one out of every ten thousand nights does a neshama like this come to the world but people like you ten thousand every day that's why people shouldn't shouldn't listen to you it's not even a dime a dozen it's much more now, of course, there is a way to deal with wicked people, and this is the way to deal with such a person. But there's a bigger teaching here that the act of intimacy is not just about reaching higher level of sanctity, but rather that the if we don't even at least try to elevate ourselves, the damage that we're causing is unbearable. Now, this week's parasha, we get to meet Moshe Rabbeinu for the first time. Moshe Rabbeinu was Kodesh Kodeshim. Now, years ago, I told you guys about the story that the Midrash teaches us, the Gemara teaches us about a mistake that Moshe Rabbeinu made. And if it wasn't written, we wouldn't be allowed to even say it. Where when Moshe Rabbeinu in this week's parasha 
comes to Egypt, tells Parol, let my people go. And Parol not only refuses, but he puts even a bigger burden on Am Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu complains to Hashem. Why? Because now that he's not giving them the straw, they're not meeting the quota. And one of the rules in Egypt, evil Egypt, was that if you don't meet the quota in making the amount of stones that you need to make, then they replace the stone you were supposed to make with your child. And they put the kids in the stones. And literally, one Jewish child after another was put into the stones, crushed to death. And Moshe Rabbeinu is seeing his people, seeing their children being crushed to death, and he's crying literally bloody tears. Hashem, why did you make me be the one that brought this evil to Am Yisrael? Look at all these kids. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you don't have to worry. These are all evil neshamot. These are all, all of these babies that are being killed. They're all wicked neshamot. They're bad. So we're just getting rid of them. They're not good people. But if you want to test me, you want to save one? Go ahead, save one. Moshe Rabbeinu sees one kid put into the stones because his father didn't meet the quota. Grabs the kid, saves the kid, and he names the kid Micha. Micha, that in essence coming from the word, that means that he was supposed to be crushed by the stones, but in the last minute Moshe Rabbeinu saved him. Now this Micha grew up and followed Moshe Rabbeinu around and when Moshe Rabbeinu finished the ten plagues, finished everything, we need to leave this few year old kid is hiding in the bushes, following Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu now needs to fulfill the promise that his grandfather made, Levi made, and the rest of the tribes made to Yosef HaTzadik. That when Hashem takes us out of Egypt, we take the bones of Yosef with us. Now Moshe is looking for the bones, looking for the tomb of Yosef. Only one person knew where it is, which is Serach bat Asher. Serach, the daughter of Asher. She is hundreds of years old. She's the only one that met Yosef. She's still alive. And she knew exactly where Yosef's bones were. And she tells Moshe Rabbeinu, the Egyptians deified Yosef because he brought so much blessing. So they put him in a stone tomb and they put him inside the Nile River. Moshe Rabbeinu comes to the Nile River, see that there's no way to find this tomb, so he uses the Torah that Hashem taught him to get this tomb out. He takes a mate, like a 
piece of uh, a piece of stone or or, or a uh, or metal, and he engraves on it the name of Hashem on one side, and on the other side, Ale Shor Ale, Rise Bull Rise, because the symbol for the tribe of Yosef was the bull, and before he throws this into the water, he says to you, he speaks to the Neshama of Yosef. Yosef, I'm here to deliver on the promise that our forefathers made to take your bones out of here. But if you don't take yourself out, I'm leaving you here. This is your chance. He takes this mate, he throws it into the water, and the tomb, the metal tomb of Yosef comes out of the water. And Moshe is able to deliver on this promise and he takes the tomb with him. Eventually, this tomb is buried by Yeshua ben Nun when they enter Eretz Yisrael. Now, all the while this happened, this little boy named Micha is hiding in the bushes. And as soon as Moshe goes away, he jumps into the water and grabs that mate, that piece that had the holy name of Hashem on it, and the sentence, Ale Shor Ale. And this wicked neshama, this boy, keeps it. And you fast forward some time, we're at Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai, Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to the mountain. After we get the Ten Commandments, everybody hears it, everybody sees the voice of God. Moshe Rabbeinu goes up to the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Erev Rav, entice Am Yisrael to lose their patience and Moshe telling them that maybe he died, he's not here, ta-ta-ta. Long story short, let's get ourselves a new middleman. They go to Chu, her in English, tell him, make us a statue. He says no, they kill him. They go to Arona Cohen, say make us a statue. That we could serve our God without any other options. Awana Kohen knows that he cannot say no because if they kill him, they're kid- killing both a prophet and a Kohen on the same day, which there's no rectification for. So, what he wants to do is buy himself more time. So, he tells them, okay, fine, just uh, give me all of your gold. Give me a bunch of gold because, you know, we need to melt it. And he figures to melt gold takes days. By the time he melted even for a day or two, already by then Moshe Rabbeinu will come and will deal with this. So everybody all of a sudden becomes very generous. All the guys, the, the women do not give any metal for this, any, any gold for this. All the guys take off their earrings, their rings, everything. They start throwing at the fire, filling it up with a huge amount of gold. Now, of course, to melt this gold takes time. Anybody that's in the jewelry business knows that not so simple to melt gold unless you have some serious equipment using the fire of 3,300 years ago took a few days to build that fire but not that day while all these people throw their gold out there under the influence of the evil inclination the little wicked kid Micha comes and he takes that mate that he has and he throws it into the fire now, since it has the holy name of Hashem on there, 
This is something that obviously does something. It's not just a piece of uh, uh, metal. And as soon as he throws that into the fire, the gold not only melts, but connects to itself, creates and formed into a bull that rises out of the fire and speaks, saying, I am God that took you out of Egypt. The golden calf spoke. So now, of course, we all know the story how Moshe Rabbeinu sees this later on, destroys it, kills a bunch of people that serve the idol. The question is, what happened to this Micha? Up to now, I've told you most of these details. The question is, what happened to this Micha? Today I'm going to tell you what happened to Micha. Micha, Hashem already said he's evil. Hashem said he's evil. Moshe Rabbeinu tested it. And it didn't lead to anything good. But was that the end of the evil of Micha? No. The Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin tells us what happened to this Micha. Rabotai, the tragedy continued for hundreds of years. There was a wicked person by the name of Yerovam ben Nevat. Yerovam ben Nevat was an enemy of God. Knew a lot of Torah, but his arrogance caused him to bring Am Yisrael to idolatry, building two golden calves. And literally, losing Olam Abba. But who is this Yerovam ben Nevat? He's an evil person. Fine, where did he come from? Where well, it says, Yerovam ben Nevat, that means his father was Nevat. Who is this Nevat? The Gemara says, Nevat Michahu. Nevat is another name for Micha, who was also called Sheva ben Bichri. Which Micha? The same Micha from the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And this Micha, this Rasha Merusha, was the father of Yerovam. And he himself continued his evil. He continued going against the Torah. Where eventually building a temple of idolatry that the grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu became the priest in. The grandson of Moshe Rabbeinu became a priest to idolatry in Micha's idolatrous temple. And this Rasha Micha thought that he was going to be king. Why? The Gemara says he had a dream and in his dream he saw fire coming out of his male member. And he thought that this fire 
means that the manliness, the strength that he has, he's destined to be king. What he didn't understand was that this fire meant that his son, Yerovam, was going to become a leader, but evil, and cause Am Yisrael to go against God, just like he himself caused Am Yisrael to go against God, go to idolatry multiple times. At the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, later on when he built a temple of idolatry himself, and later on when his son put two golden calves, he had one golden calf, his son two golden calves. That's the evil neshama of Micha. That Hashem says he could have been crushed. But Moshe Rabbeinu was sensitive to this little baby. From there we learn a lot of how if Hashem is doing something, it's certainly always for the best because he has the full calculation. Another example of an evil neshama was Achitofel. Achitofel that went against David Melech, joined forces with Avshalom, David's son, and told him to go against his father. Now, he also had a dream, this, this Achitofel. He had a dream that he had Tzarat on his male member. And he felt that since this is unique, that means I'm going to be king. That's how he translated and interpreted his own dream. A perverted mind manipulates the truth. Now, he did have a king come from him, but it wasn't him. It was that his daughter was righteous, but Sheva was the daughter of Achitofel, and she ended up marrying David, and Shlomo Melech came from him. Shlomo Melech came from his daughter, Batsheva. But Achitofel was a Rasha Meruja. Perverted mind. Perverted actions. What made him most perverted and devious was that the way that he wanted to become king was by getting Avshalom to go against his father. But how is that going to make you king? If, if Avshalom wins against David, he becomes king. So what did Achitofel say? You have to make sure to give everyone the confidence that you're not going to go back and become friends with your father again. So how do you do that? Go and cohabit with all of his women. Go cohabit with all of them. And that way, once the uh, people see that uh, you are with your uh, father's uh, uh, wives, or Pilakshim, I should say, then no one's going to think that there's ever peace that could be uh, made from this. And what was the real plan of Achitofel? Was that once Avshalom makes the sin, goes with David's uh, uh, Pilakshim, eventually David dies from the war, but then, but then Achitofel says to everybody, listen, how can you have this Avshalom as king? He violated the Torah. He was with his father's wives. And kill him and become king instead. What a diabolical plan. That's what he had. Where did that all come from? Immorality of the mind. 
You see, you notice all these people have dreams about their male member. This, this whole thing didn't start with the Freudian complex. This is all in the Torah. Anything of any value is in the Torah. And we see here, Rabotai, that these people that were, came from a bad root and didn't change their acts, didn't change their behavior, didn't do tshuva, the evil just continued growing from each generation to the next. And even when there was something good that they had an opportunity to take advantage of, they turned it into bad. Your uh, Hashem is giving you a message that kinghood will come from you. They turn it into bad. Your Hashem is giving you is, is, is giving you an opportunity to do tshuva. Turn it into bad. Everything turned into bad. Why? This unfortunately is the evil inclination that took advantage of the opportunity that was open to him due to their parents. Now, the forbidden thoughts are not just things that are relevant to men. As we've learned from our sages, forbidden thoughts are affect both men and women. And our sages teach us that any time a person thinks of something that's forbidden to him, an adulterous relationship, pornography, all types of filth, idolatry, these thoughts create a klipa. That klipa says the Or Torah of the Magid. That that klipa searches for a body in order to enter into this body. Now, as soon as it searches right, left, up, down, the easiest access that they have is where, which body to enter. Enter the body that created it. And therefore, that klipa gives the person all types of foreign thoughts of forbidden matters that cause the person to have nocturnal emissions, to have the person desire strange things. All of a sudden, she desires her brother. All of a sudden, he desires his daughter. All of a sudden, they desire the same gender. All of a sudden, they have all these weird thoughts. That's where it comes from. In fact, one of the things we learn is that if a person is holy, he learns Torah, he does mitzvot, everything is good. But all of a sudden, he's somewhere he's at a store he's uh wherever he is all of a sudden he has some crazy thought about some woman he doesn't know her doesn't care nothing but he's holy how could it be the sages teach us that's because she's thinking of him she's thinking of him and that klipa goes into his mind to affect him to get them to possibly do a sin now when it comes to promiscuity with other people it's very easy to explain and to understand that it's forbidden there's verses in the torah that says it's forbidden for a man or a woman to be kdesha kdesha means promiscuous but 
Many times people don't understand that promiscuity doesn't just start with the act. The promiscuity starts with the eyes and then it goes to the mind and so on. So we tell people that women have to protect their eyes. They're not allowed to look at immodest things. They're not allowed to look at immodest women, immodest men, immodest anything. You're not allowed to look at animals mating. A woman has to also protect her eyes. Now, although immodesty doesn't affect a woman the same way it affects a man, this doesn't mean that she could watch movies and TV and do whatever she wants. This is a very big mistake. Because once a woman gets herself used to watching movies and things of that nature, aside from it destroying her time, marriage, and any opportunity to be a good parent, it also leads to thoughts that lead to sin. And before adultery and other things like that start, usually it starts with promiscuity with self, which for whatever reason or another, people think it's allowed for women to do that. The Shah Kavanot in Yan Drush Laila, Yefela Lev 239, and also the Kafa Chaim, Siman 239, Section 3, says that wasting seed, Pgamabrit, applies equally to women as it does to men. And those that do so create Mezikin, evil spirits and klipot. Here you have clear teaching from the sages saying that it's forbidden and it creates klipot, mezikin, things that will entice you to sin even further with worse things later on. You say, yeah, but fine, that's maybe Kabbalah, that's maybe certain sages, but what about Allah? Does it get any better than Ramoshe Feinstein? The Grot Moshe. Even Ezel, first Siman, Alakha 69. Rab Moshe Feinstein writes, it is also forbidden, according to Alakha, for women to masturbate, to be with herself, unless it's part of the act of being with her husband, her by herself is forbidden completely. And this prohibition is also to even entertaining forbidden thoughts. Meaning she's not only forbidden from the act itself, she's forbidden from having these thoughts. Now, when a person understands that the Ben Yishchai says that you have these thoughts, it's going to lead you to create demons, klipot, problems. Already it puts things in a different perspective. Already the movies may not be worth it. Already the shows may not be worth it. When the Ramban says that if you watch these things, that means that whenever you're going to be intimate with your husband, you're going to think about these things. Why? Because those klipot, those demons, those mezikin, when do they come attack? At the most uh, extraordinary times, the, the worst possible times, when you're praying or when you're together with your loved one. That's when those thoughts come. And the Ramban says, if those thoughts come, they didn't come by themselves. It's because you did something. If they come during that time, 
guess what? It's considered as if you are being part of uh, idolatry. You are wasting seed. You are making a sin. Your act has become an abomination. A child that comes from such an act is a child of a sitra akha. That child will come into the world literally spiritually handcuffed with inclinations to forbidden relations, inclinations to forbidden activities, homosexuality, promiscuity, idolatry, all the worst possible things. And to get that child on the right path is going to take 50 times the effort. So for those of us that have children, if you've brought them in a way of Kedusha, there's no one more crazy than you are. If you didn't, then make sure the next one, you exert more effort to sanctify yourself beforehand. Now, if there's no child coming, you already have kids, don't start calling your little kids little demons. Don't start looking at your kids differently in a negative way as uh, bad kids. If anything is bad, it's your fault. Which in essence will increase your responsibility to help your kid and invest more time and resources into your kid to get that kid on the right path. Why? Because anything bad that they have is your fault. It's not that kid's fault. Invest more time and attention and love in that kid that has all types of strange thoughts. Don't put that kid as a responsibility of some doctor, a responsibility of some relative. Hey, listen, my kid is, wants to be a homosexual, le- lesbian, psychopath. Why don't you uh, fix him for me? Talk to my kid every day. No, you talk to your kid. It's your kid. You fix your kid. You did it, you fix it. Don't throw your responsibility and your problems on other people's laps. Why? It's your tikkun. It's your tikkun. And that's one of the things that the sages are trying to teach us. That if a person wastes seed, if a person is promiscuous, if a person commits adultery, the outcome is the outcome. There are certain things you can fix easy. There are certain things, it takes a lot more effort. If a person made all types of immoral sins, sins of sexuality there's a way to fix them but it's not easy and it's not cheap but you should know that no one is going to be happier than you after you fix them because fixing them becomes a big part of your tikkun in the world of your rectification and your purpose in the world and that's what the chida says in his avodat kodesh of uh, Lachida in uh, Tzipor and Shamil, Siman Tet, he says that the Tikkun for Pgama Brit is to make others do Tshuva. Because just like a person wasted seed, whether male or female, that's why it constantly says person and not man, just like a person wasted seed and he spreads the Kedusha, the sparks of Kedusha that Hashem gave him or her and waste them, he now will have to go and collect them. How does he collect the sparks of Kedusha? By helping other people do tshuva. 
Now, most people cannot encourage other people to do tshuva. Either they don't have the ability, they don't have the knowledge. That's why I tell you that the Tikkun Abrit film and the other teachings that we have, like this one and others, is the best possible tool that a person has to fix themselves. Because not only is it a Tikkun for themselves to learn all of this and not continue falling into the same trap they fell into in the past, but to fix themselves they need these teachings to continue spreading into more places so other people can actually do tshuva for the similar mistakes that they've made. And this, Abutai, is as relevant to men and as it is to women. And when a person takes these types of things seriously, they realize that there's no one that is responsible for your sins other than yourself. If you put yourself in certain situations, there are certain outcomes that will come. Now, a person said, yeah, but you just said that my parents did certain things and that's why I'm this way. Yes, but what do you think? That Hashem just made you that way just because of your parents? No. It's that you were here already in a previous carnation. You made these sins yourself. And the measure-for-measure crime is that you had to be reincarnated with the same damage that you created in order to rectify it. Other kids that come from Kedusha, that's because they have fixed themselves to a certain point that they only need to fix a few minor things. They're not going to have the same tikkun as you. But you, that you've perhaps committed adultery or wasted seed or did whatever you did in the previous carnation, you left a big stain on your neshama, Hashem has given you another chance, but He can't give you a chance with a blank slate. You have to come with certain certain uh, uh, damage. How could He create that damage? Give you parents that will do the part. So in essence, everyone is responsible for themselves. Everyone also is responsible for whatever they create. That's why it says, Kol Yisrael, Aravim, all of Am Yisrael are responsible for each other. You can't continue seeing your friends, your family, your community, making sins, acting immoral, and say nothing. One of the worst things that uh, that happened at the time of Yerovam is that people didn't act out against him enough. When they heard that he was planning to build these golden calves because initially it looked like he was doing the right thing it looked like he knew a lot of torah so he got a bunch of rabbis to sign and he told them you know you agree with everything i say they say yes you're gonna follow yes i'm gonna be king yes you'll do whatever i say yes even if i bring idolatry one Sadiq says, no, chas v'shalom. Mapitong, absolutely not. That was one of the prophets of that day. He said, no. But then one of the wicked people that liked money, that liked popularity, that liked the position that he has, says, no, come on, what do you think this Talmit Chacham Yerovam is going to bring an idol? No, he's just testing us to see if we're really loyal to him and follow him. And this poor tzaddik fell for the trap, signed the letter of support, and Yehovah continued showing this letter to other people. 
to get more people to follow him. So much so that the sin continued into the next generation and even affected the next tzaddik named Yehu, who was righteous and destroyed a bunch of idol worshippers and false prophets, but himself fell because of that letter. The point being is, Abutai, is that without somebody fixing the broken, it doesn't just go away. Like most people think, oh yeah, we'll end with time. Like this problem, you know, time will heal all wounds. No, it doesn't. If it's a spiritual wound, it's not going away until somebody fixes it, until somebody does a tikkun. If you brought a wasted seed into the world, a a, a, a immoral act of intimacy that brought a child that the Ramban is calling wasted seed, a... a, uh, a um, defective seed, I should say. Guess what? You are responsible to fix it. Now, if you say, well, I'm not in touch with them anymore. I'm not in touch with them anymore. I haven't talked to my kids in a long time. Okay, fine. So help other people do tshuva. Why? You brought defect into the world. You have to fix it. You have to fix it. And this Rabotai connects the rest of the Torah into the act of intimacy where we see that every little bit of action that we have in this world under our one and only God is connected like a spiritual nervous system connecting us to the Torah connecting us to God connecting us to our nation that even though you're forbidden from thinking about anybody else other than your spouse at your time of intimacy if you do think of anybody else during that time, know that you will have to continue thinking about the rest of Kalal Israel for the rest of your life to fix that mistake by helping those people do tshuva. You thought about somebody during that act. You made that sin. You now have to do a tikkun. What's that tikkun? To help Am Israel do tshuva for tikkun abrit, for immorality. To help Kalal Israel that is promiscuous in all fashions if they don't know the truth to help them do tshuva along with yourself and may it be his will that each and every single one of us will complete our tikkun complete our mission in the world help Am Yisrael do tshuva and that will not only unite us to each other to the Torah but will unite us to our Creator and sanctify His name beyond anything that we could ever do by ourselves. Thank you very much for learning with me. May Hashem bless each and every single one of you with a lot of success in your spiritual endeavors to get closer to Hashem, His Torah, and good deeds. Anyone that has any questions, Please send the messages. Anyone that wants to join the groups to get updates, you go on our WhatsApp groups, join them. It's uh, listed under the uh, description, the phone numbers and all those details. If you want to donate to support everything we're doing, as I said, you have the different websites to donate to, bezatashem.org or bhtorah.org or the other ones that I've mentioned. And last but not least, if you're watching it on YouTube, instead of watching it on our app, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe, we have a campaign that uh, a raffle, I should say, 
for the uh, subscribers. Every uh, thousand new subscribers, we announce a new winner that will win uh, some uh, cool presents that we will send him or her uh, to wherever they live. So, Bezat Hashem, many more people will subscribe. Many more people will learn. Many more people will sanctify themselves. And many, many more people will sanctify others in order to fulfill the mitzvah that the Ramban closes this chapter with, which is, Kedoshim to you, ki kedoshani. You be holy, because I, God, am holy. Be holy. And Hashem, Hashem will give us everything we could possibly imagine to succeed.